if your thing is fish and you can teach your lesson through that lens uh, that you're really passionate about, I think students will get more excitement or more enjoyment just because you're excited about it. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Uh, the issue I run into though is that's such a small, <laughs> yeah. small, small swath right. of my standards. Right. I mean, physical science, I'm never going to teach about fish. Yeah. I mean, or very rarely. I mean, it's all chemistry and physics based and earth science. Earth science, chemistry, physics. So I'm spending a whole year. Sure. So I've got to figure out a way to, to be nerdy about all that stuff. And so <laughs> for me, it's, it's, it's really about, like you said, it's, I try and find some angle or something that I am interested in yeah. or that I think they might be interested in or, you know, sometimes I, I just have to fake it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and I'm not faking it in the, in the sense that I don't like it. It's just not my thing. Right. But kids got to learn it anyway. But kids got to learn it. But yeah. what, I, what I really nerd out on is the fact that if, if kids can get this and if kids can understand uh, the process, they'll start making connections in their, in their brain. And whenever you make connections in your brain, that's, that's when I get excited. When I start seeing the aha moments. The light like, bulbs. The, yeah, it's just so cool to totally. watch it out there. Hello and welcome to MacTown Heroes, a podcast about small town people doing big time things from the hallways of McMinnville High School in the quaint little picturesque town of McMinnville, Oregon. I'm your host, Matt Brisbane, coming at you from room A202 on the Adams campus of Mac High. I'm really excited to say that today's guest is the fearless leader of our science department, Jared Larson. This episode, you'll get to hear Jared wax poetic about how he believes teachers can best avoid teacher burnout and also how they can best connect with the students sitting in our own classrooms. So sit back, turn up the volume, and enjoy the ride. All right, uh, welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Jared Larson. Welcome uh, to the show, and thanks for coming on the the podcast. Um, Can we start just by having you talk a little bit about uh, why you became an educator in the first place? Take us all the way back to to your origin story. Uh, and tell us about along the way, like what, what are the different roles that you have been a part of with education? Okay. So, uh, I am kind of a non-traditional education career person. When I was in high school, I was the kid that sat down in school and made fun of teachers. Yeah. Like no way, you know, don't tell the joke of if you can't, you teach. That was me. Uh 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 So it's kind of hilarious that I am a teacher now and I've been doing it for quite a long time and I like it because I was... I was not going to do that. Yeah. When I was uh, in high school, I thought for sure I was going to be a park ranger. That was my, my ultimate dream was to work at Yellowstone National Park and, and be a, basically a naturalist with people. That's awesome. And then I transferred that into a dream of being a fisheries biologist. And so kind of went to school thinking that was the realm I wanted to go into. And then getting through school, realized that the job prospects for that were really seasonal kind of a three months, six month, three months, six month kind of stints. And that wasn't something I wanted to do. I wanted to have start a career that was more kind of linear, so to speak. And so after going, graduating from Linfield, my degree in biology, uh, I knew I had to get a master's or something in fisheries. So I went down to Oregon State because I didn't have all the right prereqs. So I was doing some postdoc work down there. And when I was down there, I was working in a lab and I was in the basement of a a building and I was cutting up fish and running gels and having a great time but all the same I'm thinking I don't want to do this for the next 45 years so <laughs> right this is, right right this is not what I want to do this wasn't the dream this was not the dream <laughs> and so um, I came and watched uh, 
Chris Chennel, who was a science teacher here at McMinnville High School, and watched him teach his biology two class, and was like, "Wow, that looks really cool. I could, I could do this." Oh, cool. Yeah. So then I um, talked to him and I said, "Hey, can I be your student teacher if I get in?" And uh, I applied and got into George Fox in my MIT there, and then I was uh, his student teacher. So it was, it was a nice little transition, and I was able to, you know, really experience a, a really good situation. So that was kind of my roll into Segway education. Segway in. Yeah. yeah. And then once I got in, I've done so many cool things. I mean, I this is my 22nd year in teaching. Okay. So throughout my 22 years, I've been a basketball coach. I've been a football coach, both which which I loved. I stopped doing once I started having kids yeah. because I just couldn't juggle that with It's so everything. hard. It's really hard. I miss it. I, same thing for me. Coach as long as you can, and then when the kids come, priorities. Yeah. I mean, I loved it. I would still be coaching if me I too. could. It just just didn't fit right and so so then I kind of looked out in education to try and find that same connection you get with kids when you're coaching and and that's where certain coursework and certain uh, courses and things like that came out and so that's why I've been a, a bunch of different hats I've, I've done career pathway classes which uh-huh. allow you to do that which are super cool um, I really enjoy the fisheries classes the forestry classes the all those kind of things that are just kind of really get hands on. So I started doing that. I also have had the the benefit of being a TOSA, uh, a teacher on special assignment, where I was able to work on curriculum, which was really fun. Yeah. Um, for pathways, and I've also been an instructional coach. So when that grant came through, I was able to do that, which was fun. And I was also was able to be a mentor for a while, and that was that's all fun. All these things have been different kind of hats I've got to wear, and all of those have provided me with different experiences that I was able to do. So doing the pathways and everything else allowed me to then do the science experiences for elementary kids. Right. And I was doing those, loving those, thought, thought it was the best thing. And I was doing it and all of a sudden uh, I was doing so many elementary science experiences that I was missing my classes uh, almost every day. And I got back to my class one time and uh, that one of my students goes, well, hello, my name is so-and-so. <laughs> Uh, are you the next sub? And I'm like, no, I'm your teacher. And, and that's when it was kind of like my aha moment that, uh, okay, maybe... I was wondering what you looked like. Yeah, I was wondering. <laughs> I was wondering. So I had to ratchet those back. And so now I just do, do one. I do fourth grade. That's and awesome. So, that's, so it's super fun. So yeah. can you talk a little bit about, I think some of the people that might be listening to this think about, okay, science is like a core content area subject in school, mm-hmm. but you're also talking about pathways. And those pathways at our school anyway are elective classes for the most part. So can you talk about the difference there a little bit and how, um, I mean, you can talk maybe about the pathways as a whole first, but then talk specifically about your pathway mm-hmm. and how it kind of ties in to the sciences, even though uh, a lot of the students, well, when they take it, they get elective credit. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. So uh, pathways are, are there, they're designed, um, each one's different. We have 16 or so pathways here yeah. and they're all unique. They all provide a a unique experience for our students to learn something that you could do outside of school. And the cool thing that I think is you can actually do them here and try them out. Yeah. And then if you don't like them, no big deal, but you've learned some new skills. You haven't wasted two years of a major or something like that. So true. Yeah. And, And so the one that we have or the one we started was natural resources. And so natural resources is a way for a a kid that's interested in science and also being outside to, to do that. And so we start with fisheries, 
had a lot of kids that were really interested in, in fisheries, or students I should say, interested in, student, in fisheries, and so we had a lot of success there. So we added wildlife, then we added forestry. And what we're able to do is we kind of take the, um, the how-to mm -hmm. in that field, and we call them all of your, uh, let's see, how, how do I put this? It's kind of the way that we, we're gonna teach a student how to do something, Yeah. and then also throw in the science with it. And so we, we really want to make industry standard type of experiences for these students. So it just brings the science that they're learning in theory and gives them the relevance. Like this is how it's used in the real world. Correct. So do you, if, you're, if your focus in those pathway classes is to give them that relevant real world experience, can students also get science credits for those classes or uh, is it only strictly elective? Well, we've kind of toggled back and forth on that one. We've, we've, we've gone in both worlds because yeah, for some of them, yes. Some of them, no. We go back and forth, and we and we philosophically, uh, it all depends upon what the standards are of the day. And yeah. now that we're on the next gen standards, those are a little bit stricter mm -hmm. in what we can do. So we've had to kind of ratchet back some of the coursework that we feel qualify for science credit. Whereas when we were on the Oaks standards, more of them qualified. So okay. it's it kind of goes back and forth. We look at the standards; it's all standard based, like you know. Yeah. And so whichever standards fit, we'll we'll do that. Uh, we will at times for students if they, let's say they they were sick or they missed a biology credit or something like that and they're senior. Yeah. Instead of making them go back and take freshman biology, they can take a fisheries course okay. for that for that science credit. Now we have to be super careful depending on if they're going to a four-year institution that they still have two years of lab science so that they can get in. Gotcha. So that's the only caveat. So when you're looking at science standards, and I have no experience with that, but I know looking at English standards. We're looking mostly at just skill-based stuff. Like, uh, can you analyze something that you're reading? Mm -hmm. can, you, can you write an essay? You know, can you communicate in a clear and concise way? Um, but I feel like science has more specific content standards that you have to make sure to cover mm -hmm. with different classes. So, like, it, you, we have just a biology class that's a freshman class. But you said sometimes kids can take a fisheries class and still get all of those same standards. Is that true? Yeah. So uh, the thing I love about science is we take all of your standards. Yeah. Or not all. And that's, the, that's an overstatement. <laughs> we take the same idea. Yeah. Analyze, interpret, describe, explain. And then we, we give it a home. And so you have to use those skills that you all are teaching to explain our content yeah and so that's kind of how we same with math we use the math to explain the science and so we will give a kid a, a graph or a, a data chart and then they have to use all the skills they learn in their language arts class to explain what they're seeing sure and using the content science standard basically the, the information we've taught them in class to do that and so that's why some kids really struggle in science it's one of the few um content-driven courses where you're required to use math and language arts to deliver the It's a culmination answer. of all of it. Yeah, you, you know, like in, in other courses, you can either really lean heavily on your language arts or lean heavily on your math mm -hmm. and, and do well. But for ours, they, you really have to, to meld the two. And if you're not good in one, it exposes you really quickly and it frustrates students. And so if we can... So we do a lot of peer-to-peer... Of, of teaching or, or coaching them up or trying to get them to understand that they can do it. And then once they see that it's, this is actually a good thing, 
this is actually why you're doing geometry or why you're doing algebra or or why you did that you know argumentative essay yeah they, they like it that's awesome yeah um, so I'm going to shift focus a little bit mm-hmm. as, as uh, an English teacher, and I think this is true of actually all high school teachers. We kind of have a specialty area. Yeah. Um, and so as an English teacher, like I just nerd out on literature, right? That's like my thing. So for you as a science teacher, can you talk to uh, why science just kind of like makes you smile, why, why it keeps you coming back here every day, or do you keep coming back here for your students or maybe a combination? I don't know. Oh, well, it's, it's definitely a combination. If, yeah. if I'm going to nerd out, I'm going to nerd out with fish. Yeah, so yeah, that's, yeah. that's my nerdy thing. Okay. You might be poetry or something like yeah. that. Uh, I'm going to nerd out with fish. I mean, I, I could talk about fish every day in all my classes and, and bring everything back to fish, and I would bore my students to death. So I have to make sure that I like, temper my sure. love for that with uh, everything else. And so... But the reason I come back, I mean, the same reason probably you come back, is the students. Yeah. I mean, if no one wants to sit and listen to me nerd out on, <laughs> you know, on, on a Chinook salmon. I mean, yeah. And I, and I can sit here and, and talk about Ankarinka Shuisha and go, oh, this is so cool. This is, look at this. The Chinook salmon's coming here. And, and you're like, oh, this is great. Yeah. Uh, okay, 85 minutes left. We got, you know, I've just made it five minutes in this class and I'm going to die. But I think the, the flip side of that, too, is that as a teacher, it's really important to... Um, take what we're passionate about mm-hmm. and like channel that energy into the content that we have to teach as well. Yeah. Right. So like if your thing is fish and you can teach your lesson through that lens uh, that you're really passionate about, I think students will get more excitement or more enjoyment mm-hmm. just because you're excited about it. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Uh, the issue I run into though is that's such a small, <laughs> yeah. small, small swath right. of my standards. Right. I mean, physical science, I'm never going to teach about fish. Yeah. I mean, or very rarely. I mean, it's all chemistry and physics based and earth science. Earth science, chemistry, physics. So I'm spending a whole year. Sure. So I've got to figure out a way to, to be nerdy about all that stuff. And so <laughs> for me, it's, it's, it's really about, like you said, it's, it's, I try and find some angle or something that I am interested in yeah. or that I think they might be interested in or, you know, sometimes I I just have to fake it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and and I'm not faking it in the in the sense that I don't like it. It's just not my thing. Right. But kids got to learn it anyway. But kids got to learn it. But yeah. what I what I really nerd out on is the fact that if if kids can get this and if kids can understand uh, the process, they'll start making connections in their in their brain. And whenever you make connections in your brain, that's that's when I get excited. When I start seeing the aha moments, the light like, bulbs. The, yeah, it's just so cool to totally. watch it out there. Um, so you said you've been teaching for 22 years. Yes. Uh, as you look back on your career, um, who would you say are like those key people yeah. or key moments in your career that have really shaped you as an okay. educator? So uh, my cooperating teacher, Chris Channel, he yeah. was uh, a rock star, absolute rock star. Um, when I showed up day one throughout my whole uh cooperating teacher moment kind of time he he guided so you gotta imagine if you don't know who he was he showed up he taught in a science nerd shirt kind of mc hammer pants and jelly <laughs> shoes that was that was so that's if you, awesome if students if you don't know who he is look it up uh but that that's what he that was his uniform and i'm sitting in the back with my khakis my l.l bean white shirt and a tie <laughs> so complete polar, polar opposites. opposite yeah 
And he taught me how to come out of my shell and enjoy teaching. Yeah. Instead of just spouting out, this is science, why I love it, he taught me how to, to do that. He, and he showed compassion to his students on a daily basis that I was astounded by, and I, I've tried to model that. Uh, kind of the next person that comes to mind is Ruth Gaskin. Yeah. You remember Ruth? I do. Ruth uh, had this tough love about her that you, it was amazing. She could get students to understand that she cares about them and also force them to do all the work. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I've, I've tried to pull from that as well. I'm not as good at it as she was, and I don't yeah. think anyone will ever be because she was amazing. Well, and it's a, it's a tough trick to be able to say – you know, when you ask a student, yeah, we love that teacher, but at the same time, this is like the hardest teacher that I have. Correct. At the same time. And she was that teacher. So I, I yeah. watched her a ton and, and um, really tried to glean things from her, the way she did things and, and do it that way. Uh, also, uh, Vic Downs. Mm. Uh, Vic is probably the most energetic, student-loving teacher I've ever met. Yeah. He genuinely uh, enjoys his students and he remembers everything like you you talked to him oh that was so and so that was this they did that and I, I watch him and it's 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 amazing and I, I try to be that person at the same time and, and he he's so wise he he's been doing it for so long yeah that every once in a while he'll just say something like whoa I, I haven't even heard that and yeah. I've been doing this 22 years and you know he, and he just always understands kind of Time and place. Sure. He knows the moment. He's been through it all. And then I would say the last person is Tony Vigner. Yeah. He he's been kind of the person that has pushed me to do things that I didn't think I wanted to do. Okay. At the time when I should be doing them. So kind of the the person that knows what you should be doing, kind of like a teacher would be to, would be to you. Yeah. And he's like, no, you should be doing this right now, Jared. No, you should, no, Jared, you should be doing this. This is something that you probably should be doing right now. And, and I'm like, I don't think so. He goes, no, you probably should. And he's always right. I've, I've noticed with Tony, too, he, he has such a, a big picture viewpoint yes. of everything. Like, he knows how everything works together to make the school move in the right mm-hmm. direction. And so, <clears throat> you know, he, he's probably telling you from uh, uh, a viewpoint or a perspective that it's hard for you or I as a teacher to even conceptualize because there's so many moving parts to it. Mm-hmm. And, and he is really good at only giving you as much as you can handle at the time. Yeah. But then all of a sudden you realize by the time he's finished with you that you know it all. Yeah. Or I shouldn't say, you know everything he wants you to know at that point and, and then you're ready for the next thing. And then he sets you up for that, which is perfect because it's the, it's the correct teaching model. It's interesting because as a principal, it's almost as if he is leading his staff the way a teacher would lead their class oh yeah right Mm -hmm. in in what ways do you see similarities to the job that our administrators do with the staff to the job that we do as teachers you know with our students yeah I, i think good administrators do it like we do it yeah i think good administrators know their staff just like we know our students i think good administrators can take uh what they want to get done and um incorporate you into the equation like we incorporate our students how many times have you been in a class when you've done something and and there's a student that just watched just been watched you know so many hours on that subject Mm. and they know everything about it yeah and you're like wow i just learned something from that person (laughs) you know that happens to me all the time in science some kid totally nerds out on planets or they'll nerd out on dinosaurs or something and all of a sudden i've learned something new that day and it's awesome 
I think a good administrator is the same way. They they understand the staff has excellent skills and they and they take advantage of that. So on that note, um, one of the questions that I had for you is that right now you're actually pursuing your administrative mm -hmm. license. So um, can you speak to the thought process that went into that decision yeah. and uh, why after 22 years teaching is now the right time for you to start heading that direction? Yeah, that's a really good question. And the reason I like that question is that's different for everyone, Yeah, right? It's, there's no right answer to that question. And, and for me, it's the right time because it's the right time for my family. Hmm. Uh, both my, uh, my kids are in high school. Luke's going off to Gonzaga next year. Yeah. Claire's a uh, ninth grader. And so for me, it was the right time because they, it's not that they need me less, but they're much more independent, but they're much more independent. Yeah. They, they, they don't, I'm not being the chauffeur at all times. Yeah. I'm, and, and it's amazing. Just, I'm just amazed by them on a daily basis and how much they've grown up. And, and uh, a student asked me the other day, you know, Luke's a senior. What's, how does that make you feel? And I, it makes me feel really sad and happy all at the same time because yeah. I'm happy for him leaving because he, you know, it's good for him to get away, but I'm, I'm sad that he's leaving. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. I think, I think that's how I feel with administration, right? I'm, I'm happy for this new kind of challenge. Mm. And I think that, just like you're saying, I think good administrators can cause way more positive change on a grander scale than a, than a good teacher can mm -hmm. at times. That's not saying they, that's always, but I think that they can, can empower more teachers. And that's kind of what I'm hoping to be able to do yeah. is to really, to bring a lens of empowerment to teaching to, and to teachers that I, that I haven't been able to do before. And, and at first I thought the way to do that was being uh, like vice president of the union. And that did a lot of stuff. Yeah. That was a lot of good for me. It opened my eyes to a lot of things, but I realized that that's still only one piece to it. And what I really need to do is really find that the piece where I can, on a daily basis, have the freedom to do that. And, and the sad part for me is that I won't be in the classroom. Yeah. You know, that's because really the fun parts being in the classroom. Right. Absolutely. The fun parts being with the, with the students and it the is. students here are amazing. So giving that up, it's, it's, it's problematic, but I think it's the right time. Sure. Do you, so it sounds like a big part of your decision obviously went into it's the right time for your family. Is this something that you would have started earlier in your career had that not been a factor? Oh, yeah, most definitely. I, I probably was thinking about doing it probably at year 10 or 11 of my career. Yeah. That's when I started going, you know, I want to do into this. But I think get into that. But I really, really feel that it was smart for me not to, just knowing myself. Yeah. Because I've learned so much in the last 10 years. Yeah. Being able to go through, like, you know, different cycles in education. Right. I'm on my third or fourth cycle mm -hmm. through a different curriculum. And I think that gives me perspective that if you don't go through those cycles as a teacher, you don't understand what we're causing, what, what you're heaping on. Because you, you, there's only so much you can give a teacher to do. Right. So I think oftentimes... Uh, you know, we'll see administrators who have been teaching for just a year or two mm -hmm. and then head right into that admin program and become a principal after just a couple of years of experience in the classroom. Um, and then the, there's like the whole other end of the spectrum where you have a teacher who's almost taught a full career in the classroom and then becomes an administrator. Mm -hmm. um, 
what do you think the advantage is to waiting that long? But also, what are some of the drawbacks to, yeah, to waiting so long? That's, that's another good question. Uh, some of the advantages of waiting that long are that you have a bigger, like, you have more perspective to draw upon. You, you've gone through more things. You, I think you have more empathy. Yeah. I think you really can understand a teacher that's got a class that's just a, an incredibly rambunctious mix of students. <laughs> yeah. And, and you, can, you can walk in there and you can go, oh, wow. Yeah. This is just a mix of students that really shouldn't be together right now. Yeah. And it's not a reflection on the teacher necessarily. It's, and it's not a reflection on the students. It's just yeah. they all like each other so much or vice versa. They all hate each other so much. But usually it's like. Yeah. That's usually the hardest classes to teach is when you end up with 10 to 15 students that are kind of like pseudo brothers and sisters. Yeah. And they are just so excited they finally get to be in Mr. Larson's seventh period class because <laughs> they've been waiting all day for it. Not right. because of Mr. Larson's seventh period class, but because they get to see all their buddies. Yeah, of course. And if you haven't had those classes or haven't had more than one of them. Especially when it's the very, very end of the day. Yes. Yeah. Then you don't understand what's happening. And, and you might try and fix it when it's not really a, a, a fix with a teacher. Really, it's a fix with a schedule for the students because the students aren't going to do their best in that situation. And the teacher isn't. And so I think that is on that side of it. I think the flip side, sometimes you can be a little, a little bit, t- maybe, I think uh, younger administrators have a little bit more, um, they're a little, how do I put this? Uh, I think they, they're more willing to try things quicker. Sure. And so I think sometimes they can, can push through an agenda that might work, that, you're, that a, someone that's been doing it for 20 years like, I don't think that's going to work. Right. Or they're like, we're doing it. <laughs> and, and sometimes it works. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't. But yeah. sometimes it works. And I think that's the benefit of having the, the less time in teaching. Interesting. Okay. So uh, you talk a lot about, you know, the interpersonal dynamics of students and teachers and, you know, how, how that all kind of goes into getting a good education. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the areas that I noticed when I first started working here is the connection that all of the science teachers had together. Um, and I would, I would venture to say, I think most people would agree that the science department is kind of the closest group of, of teachers in our mm-hmm. building. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of feeling really connected with your colleagues and, and also the, the ways in which you guys kind of come together as, yeah. a, as a science department? Um, I would say that when I first started uh, here, the, the group was closer only because of proximity. Yeah. We were all in the same hallway. So you oh, yeah. saw each other huge. every day, every every moment, and it was proximity's huge. And you know that from whoever you you teach next to, mm-hmm. you tend to be closest to. That's true. And the the next piece is uh, we used to have funding for us to do science retreats every year. Mm. So we always went on a science retreat, and we always went to a science um, kind of conference every year. So we always did all those things together, and that was usually an overnight. So you, you spent time away from everyone else and you, you, you bonded. Just and bonding time. Just bonding time. And so those, that really set the stage for um, kind of that collegial grouping. Yeah. Uh, I think the, what we've been able to do, because the funding sources have changed, we can't do that stuff any longer. I think what we've done, we've, we've tried to stick together with uh, quarterly or every so often we get together and we celebrate people's birthdays yeah or we get together and we always do a christmas party together 
So we always do a white elephant gifts exchange. So things like that where we, we try and keep that piece together. Yeah. Um, that is, that's important to us. And the other part that we have to do that no one else does that I think lends, us, lends it to this kind of tight-knit group is we have to share equipment. Oh, yeah. It's, it's hard to be mad at someone when you have to go back to them and <laughs> borrow a beaker or borrow something else. Because, yeah. you, you know, it's hard to, to keep that up because you're forced to communicate. And sure. I think that's a, a huge lesson for just everyone in general. Yeah. Communication. The more you communicate with someone, the more empathy you show, show towards them and the more you're willing to just let small things go. Yeah. And, and I would even add like face-to-face conversation. Oh, we're, we're always. Not, not email, mm-hmm. not, not email. phone call. Like, you got to walk in that person's classroom. Absolutely. And you got to borrow the balance. And if you're mad at them, you're not mad at them by the time you leave because you just found out why maybe they did something you misinterpreted. Sure. And you go from that. And then I'd also just say two people are huge in our department, Vic and Andrea. Vic and Andrea, I mean, those two are amazing teachers, obviously. Yeah. But their interpersonal skills are off the chart. They have mediated that they've kept us together no matter what's happened those two are are the rock stars of kind of melding the when i came into it to now and welcoming people and things like that so those two really helped that's awesome Mm -hmm. um this morning we were just in a meeting uh kind of discussing discussing like postgraduate plans for our students right and and, you know, you ask any, anybody that teaches here, and I, just about everybody's going to tell you that we work in, a, in an amazing school. Um, but one of the areas that we've struggled with has been uh, post-high school schooling, yeah. right? And so mm-hmm. that doesn't necessarily mean just college, but any kind of, like, technical or vocational training, uh, any, any kind of... Um, apprenticeship programs, you know, yeah. uh, routinely that that's been a super low number for us. So after, after our students graduate, they aren't necessarily going on to another program. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some things that you feel like are the reasons for those low numbers? Yeah. And then what are some things that we've been kind of trying to put in place lately that are, um, may, having the most effect on, on that issue that we have? I think uh, anyone that looks at this, I mean, you got to take the, as you were saying before, you got to take the, 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 big picture. the big picture. Yep. And the big picture right now is we have, a, we have a really good economy. Yeah. Whenever you have a really good economy, college numbers go down. Mm. And, and that's just because you can go out and get a really good job that pays you a lot yeah. right now. Out of high school with a high school diploma. And for a lot of our students, that's a way to give back to their family. Right. right now. Absolutely. And that's important. And so I think our numbers are deflated in one realm because our economy is so good. Mm-hmm. I think our numbers are deflated in another realm because our community doesn't have high college going rate, but we have a lot of small business owners. Yeah. So a lot of people, I think, are going into their family businesses, which might be a, a construction business or a logging <clears throat> business or a you know, really successful business people in our community okay. that don't need to go to college or go to a trade school because their parents are going to tr- train them or their uncle or their, you know, their neighbor. Absolutely. They're going to go paint 
-hmm. You know, they get their own painting business. And so I think there's all those things that, that play into those numbers that make us artificially lower than we are. Okay. So, so when you say that, reframing the, the situation the way that you just did, mm -hmm. it almost sounds like you don't feel like it's that big of a problem, as big of a problem as it appears to be just by looking at the data. I, I don't think it's as big as a problem as it appears to be. I still think it's a problem, and I think it's a problem in a different realm. Okay. I would say we need to look at the number of students that want to go to college or trade school that can't. So I think that's the number we should focus on. So there's, there's a whole group of students that might be for financial reasons or other reasons that, that want to but can't. Sure. So how do we make sure those students can do it? Or maybe they didn't take the right course or they didn't do this. Or, and so I think what the things that we've been doing at school lately I think are going to be super helpful for these students. Yeah. Um, the AVID curriculum. I think that's really helpful for a whole swath of our students that are, you know, that are, that typically were underserved or underrepresented. Right. That wanted to go to college but never no. knew how to get there. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's going to help our numbers. I think, and, you know, I, I'm hopeful that uh, junior seminar is going to help. Yeah. I really do. I, we won't know until next year. Sure. Right? Because uh, that's us. We, a, we that's just a, started that program started this year. That. Yeah. And so I, I, I'm hopeful that helps. Yeah. Um, but I think for us, the biggest thing we have to do is. I just had a conversation with Michael Hampton. Michael Hampton is the career counselor at Linfield. Okay. And and we were talking about what are we where are we really shoveling kids into? What are we why are we pushing kids in direction X or Y? And his big thing was is we, we need to do a better job as a society mm -hmm. of asking kids, what do you really want to do? What do you really what are you passionate about? And and figure out the path from that. Instead of saying you know, Jared, you, you're good at teaching. You should be a teacher. Right. That may, that's the wrong question. The question should be, Jared, what are you passionate about and how can we get you to do that career? And maybe it ends up being teaching <clears throat> and maybe it ends up being college, but maybe it doesn't. Maybe it ends up something else where I can still be um, successful right? and, and go from there. I, I don't want to diminish our numbers because really we should be... 20 percentage points higher with, with our, our growing rate with right. our kids. I do think we need to do a better job of gathering data because data can be misleading. Absolutely. And as a science teacher, I understand how you can use data to your advantage <laughs> or disadvantage. Of course you can, yeah. So I, I really think we need to have a good data set before I can really truly answer that. Okay. Uh, spoken like a true diplomat. <laughs> um, so I just I'm I'm looking through the the other questions that I had prepared and realizing that we're we're short on time here. So um, there are a couple that I want to make sure that we get to, and um, I guess one of them is I think when you first start teaching, you realize that this is a really big job, mm. and it's it's something that could easily turn into an eighty hour work week on the regular. Um, and I think the longer that you do it, if you can stick with it, if you don't burn out. Um, you sort of learn these little tricks to to minimize the amount of hours that you have to spend mm -hmm. to do the job well. Can you talk about what some of those little tricks have been for you to help you sure. sort of, um, you know, you know, do the job maybe a little bit more efficiently, or yeah. do you, or do you feel like this is a job where sometimes it's going to take a sixty-hour work week, and that's just part of it, and if you don't like that, 
you know, maybe teaching's not for you. You know, there's there's the two sides of the of the coin on that. Um, I think whenever you pick up a new prep or a new thing, that's just kind of the necessary evil of of, of this job. Yeah. Um, and in science, we tend to put those 60-hour weeks in all the time because we're doing labs. And labs take a lot of prep, front-end work. And, yeah. And that's different than other people because there's the setup, there's the teardown. It's, it's quite a bit of work. I will say that the tricks that you can do is, is I've really tried to have my students understand that not everything we do has to be graded. Right. To have value. Yeah. And, and, I, and I think the more a new teacher can, can do that, to to really impress upon the students even though you're not turning this in it has value just doing the work is that is helping you learn yes yeah that saves you an immense amount of time because if you're grading everything you can't do it it's just not possible no there's There's, no way not with 180 students and so that's those are the tricks that i've done is just try and make sure that i spend my time on the things that are important really grade it and then do it. The other things I've done, uh, I've, I'll grade one, the, the major question okay. on an assignment. Mm-hmm. The rest, I know if they get that one right, the rest They've will be probably good. got the rest of it down yeah. too. And so I'll, I'll kind of I'll do that as well. That being said, I, I really feel that if you're going to be a good educator, you have to be willing to have a limit. Mm. I mean, you have to have some self-care. Yeah. And if you don't have some self-care, you've got to find something. So for me, it's exercise. Exercise is my self-care. If I'm not exercising, I'm not a good teacher. And that's just me. And, and that is different for everyone. For, for someone, it might be reading or, yeah. or watching, pod, you know, watching some, your favorite Netflix show or sure. listening to podcasts. You've got to find something that releases and if you don't have a release, this job will eat you up. Do you feel like it's enough just to like do that on the weekends, or is this a daily thing? It's a daily feel? thing. Yeah, it's got to be something that is a regular in your routine. If you save for the weekends, then you're gonna be by the time Friday shows up, you're gonna be in trouble. Yeah, because it's the it's an emotionally draining job, and that emotionally draining portion of it is gonna be it's gonna eat you up. Yeah, and you know I'm, I just finished a. a an assignment for my, my, my course I'm taking right now. Right. And they, and they said in this article that I read about teacher burnout. Yeah. That it, it's not, it's also depends upon how you take in something. So the way that you emotionally process, they've noticed that there's a difference there as well. So as, as someone who is preparing to be an administrator, mm-hmm. as someone who has had a number of student teachers in their career yeah. as a department chair... What are some um, things that you've kind of noticed are ways that schools can prevent that teacher burnout and new teachers specifically, but even, you know, the veteran teachers, you know, it can happen too. So what are some things that we can do to be more helpful in that, in that area? I think uh, as a department chair, I know certain people have certain skill sets. Yeah. And when I set the schedule, I maximize their skill sets. So I, if I know that you are really good with oceans, mm-hmm. I'm going to load up your schedule <laughs> with teaching about the ocean. Yeah. Because I know that's, that's going to be good for the department. It's going to be good for the students. And it's also going to be good for you. Yeah. And then what I've done, and, and maybe a detriment to myself, but whatever's left over, I take. And One, that's kind of the mark of a leader, right, is to 
you, eaters eat la- leaders eat last is the famous yeah that's saying. that's kind of what I've done in my department and I and I've noticed that also if you can if you really look every student every teacher every administrator has a really they're really good at something mm. and if you can point that out and build upon that and really do that then then everyone everyone's more successful yeah and I don't the if you could, if you're only focusing on what people can't do, you're gonna really struggle, you're and gonna that's gonna really out, yeah. burn people out. So you gotta really focus on what people are good at and maximize that. And then when you do that, I've kind of noticed that the other things fall into place. Sure, I think sometimes, um, sometimes teachers tend to feel like if they are really competent in something, uh, then more things tend to get added to their plate. Do you feel like that's uh, that's something that is, as as an administrator or as a leader, is a good strategy because they're a very capable teacher and you know they can handle more? Or do you feel like that's something that we need to be careful of? I think that's uh, a terrible strategy, personally. Yeah. I think that's something that causes burnout. I think the reason that person is successful is because they're at they're doing what they can do and they're doing it well. Yeah. And they're they're out there, and they're out their maximum. That's that's the wrong thing. But they're they're the reason they're successful is because they have good self-care yeah. and, they, and they've got that work, workplace balance. The more you put on someone, the less likely they're going to have to have balance. And, and you've got to be careful of that. And you've got to be okay with having that person tell you, hey, that's too much. And you've got to be okay with backing it off. Right. You know, I've had several science teachers tell me, you know, this next year I can only take two preps <laughs> yeah. because they know something's coming up. Yeah. You know, maybe they're having a baby or maybe they they've got to take care of their parent or maybe there's something else and and you've got to be okay with saying okay well next year you you only have two preps or, right. and some people they're okay with five preps and I mean, which isn't really good either no but, but at the same time you you know people and people know themselves and if you can get your students and your teachers and your admin to be good advocates for themselves yeah then that helps the whole system as well the worst is when someone doesn't tell you sure and then you're you you're left guessing and if and if you don't know, then you can't help. And I'm the worst offender at this. Sometimes I just don't say anything, and I just put my head down and grind just it out. Just go, yeah. And just go. Because you don't want to be a complainer. Either, no, you know. Yeah, but but that's also not healthy. Right. So you got to be you got to be an advocate for yourself. Okay. Last two questions. The first is this: um, for a brand new teacher to the profession, or yeah. even a student teacher, what is one or two pieces of advice that you would give them? Mm-hmm. If you're going to say, hey, if you want to be a successful teacher, if yep. you want to make it for 30 years in the profession, you got to do these things. What would you tell them? Uh, first thing I would tell them is find a mentor. Find someone that's going to be helpful to you, that is that matches your personality. Yeah. Just because the personality the thing's big time. Huge. Yeah. If, if you find a mentor because they've been teaching for 20 years, it doesn't mean it's going to work out. You no. gotta You got to match your, your personality type. Absolutely. The second thing I would say is don't do too much too soon. It, it, too many teachers, because they're good, like you said, take on the next thing and the next thing. They're a the coach and an advisor. Yep. And a, yep. yeah, absolutely. Don't do that. Really be honest with yourself and say, okay, I want to be good at this. And an opportunity might come up the next year that you have to say no to because you're not great at something yet, but you will maybe be able to do that in two years. Right. And be okay with that. 
And, and that's the biggest piece of advice I would have for a new teacher. Very good. The, the last one is this. Um, we, in the last probably four or five years, have focused a lot on growth mindset. Hmm. Um, and that, you know, that, that goes K-12. Um, so as a, as a professional, as an educator, I'm going to ask you to, to wear that same hat. Um, in what ways do you feel like you're a better teacher today than you were last year mm-hmm. at this time? Mm-hmm. Um, and in what ways, I'm going to ask you to like project forward into the future. In what ways would you like to continue to grow yeah. you know, for next year? I think, I think for me, uh, I always try to look for the small improvements. Yeah. Because uh, that's, that's where I'm at. Like, did I do a better job leading this field trip this year than last year? Did I, was this lab more successful than last year? And that's where I can tell I'm getting better. Yeah. Is uh, each t- each year I do something, I I can think about it and reframe it and do it better the next year. And yeah. that's where I feel like my growth mindset is. Absolutely. So my big field trip for AP Biology, where I take them on up on the Cascade trip, I was ten times better this year than I was last year. And next year I'm even better. You know, because I'm. I'm getting used to it. I'm getting comfortable with it, and I'm able to do it. And when you are comfortable with it, then you can afford to look at those little tiny tweaks, those mm-hmm. little tiny details, which make everything better. It's Correct. the small details that make all of the difference. But the first time you do it, oh, you, there's no way you can focus on those things, too. And the other thing that I've noticed is when I'm more comfortable with something, then, I, then that passion can come out more. Yeah. And, and I can tweak it, and then maybe I could talk about fish, too. Yeah, you know, there you go. Get to come back. Bring to it all back to the bring fish. It, bring it back to the fish and, and, and understand how the, they all relate to something. So I, I think that's where, for me, when I'm comfortable, uh, I'm happier. Yeah. And when I'm happier, I think the students can see that. And, and that really translates into learning. And yeah. learning is why we're here. Be, be happy so that you can be happy for your students too. Correct. I appreciate you joining us today for the podcast well thank you for inviting me this has been really fun yeah absolutely have a good day all right thank you all right folks you've been listening to MacTown heroes i hope you've enjoyed hearing all about what it takes to be a successful educator in our building i know something that i'll be taking away from the interview is the reminder about how important it is to connect with our colleagues and to find those little moments every day to recharge our batteries so that we can be at our best for our students. As always, my hope is that through this podcast, we all get to know a little more about the hard work that it is necessary to being an educator in America, and more specifically about the amazing educators that we have here at McMinnville High School. If you enjoyed this and any of the other episodes in this podcast, please don't hesitate to share those with the people who you feel would appreciate them. Thanks again, and have a great day.